Our gospel lesson for this morning is from Mark chapter 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one anymore but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I can tell you so many great things from the time I spent in Central Texas over the years. The scenery, however, is not one of the things I would tell you about. (laughs) Central Texas is not known for being the most picturesque place in the world. Although, especially when you have lived in Kentucky your whole life, (laughs) the bar is set pretty high. Unlike the bluegrass state, central Texas is very flat. It's dry. It's brown for most of the year. Flowers don't stay alive for very long because it's so hot. Grass doesn't stay green for long because it's so very hot. The leaves on the trees never really change colors because it's so very hot. Now, the irony of this is that they are also having a big winter storm right now and are not sure what to do with these cold temperatures. So if my Texan friends are watching right now, hang in there. A funny thing I realized living in Texas was that they think they have fall, but the truth is they don't know what fall is. They just know that when the temperature finally gets below 90 degrees, say in October... (laughs) They should put out pumpkins and start wearing scarves and boots. And then everything pretty much stays that way until about March when spring starts to come to life. And then for this window of maybe six weeks of the year, springtime in central Texas is absolutely lovely. And last spring was the most beautiful Texas spring I think I've ever experienced. 
Now remember, we were on lockdown for COVID-19, and like many people, I had made a practice of going for a walk every day to get out of the house and to spend some time outside. And on those walks, it was as if I were watching spring come to life around me for the very first time. Each day I saw trees begin to bud with these bright green leaves that grew bigger and more confident on the trees every day. I watched blue bonnets and other wildflowers bloom to life with these beautiful pops of color along the road. In the evenings I saw the colors of the sunset splash across the horizon of that beautiful Texas sky while bright yellow sunflowers spotted the fields. And in the midst of what was such a high anxiety time in our world, these walks just felt like sacred space. But the thing is, I wasn't the only one saying this. Everyone was talking about how it was the most beautiful spring we had ever seen. And then we had to stop and ask ourselves if there really were something different about it this year. Or if we were just slowing down long enough to see it, to really see spring come to life in ways that we hadn't seen before. And I wonder if today's text in the Gospel of Mark is not unlike what we were experiencing last spring in Central Texas. Peter, James, and John go up the mountain with Jesus one day when all of a sudden they look up and Jesus is just sparkling and shining before them like nothing they've ever seen before. And just like I can't exactly explain what happened last spring, I certainly can't begin to explain the transfiguration to us this morning. All I know is that the disciples look up and see Jesus shining like the sun, as Thomas Merton might describe him, and they think to themselves, wait a minute, did Jesus always look like that? Or are we just now seeing it? Perhaps the transfiguration is like what the Celts called thin spaces. These spaces where the veil between heaven and earth, between the sacred and the secular, between the extraordinary and the ordinary, it seems especially thin, and the presence of God is almost palpable. I think you know the kind of moments I'm talking about. They come in all shapes and sizes for us, and all of us, in one way or another, are hungry for them. Otherwise, I don't think you would be taking time out of your weekend to join us virtually for a worship service if you weren't looking for something like that. Now, while I have imagined that we have all experienced the sacredness of thin spaces within the context of our faith and even within this very sanctuary, we all know that thin spaces are available to us outside of any sort of religious experience at all. In a New York Times article, When Heaven and Earth Come Closer, Travel writer Eric Weiner says, thin spaces are locales where the distance between heaven and earth collapses and we're able to catch glimpses of the divine, where we are jolted out of old ways of seeing the world. And for a few blissful moments, he says, 
I loosen my death grip on life and can breathe again. Reading his article this week made me mindful that it's no wonder we are hungry for thin spaces right now after the death grip we have had on just about everything for the past year. We have been living in such high anxiety and fear and stress. We've been cooped up in our houses. We haven't seen the people we dearly love. We haven't traveled and seen the world, at least not in the ways we might normally. Now it's cold and dreary and cloudy and icy outside. I mean, so many of the things that usually inspire us and leave us in awe and wonder are so much harder to access right now. And yet, as Peter says at the Transfiguration, it's good for us to be here. And although he's a bit overwhelmed in this moment and perhaps not quite sure what to say, I think he's right. It's good for us to spend some time being amazed by something that is so much bigger than ourselves. As Pastor Nadia Boltz Weber says, my own reason and cleverness can only get me so far in life. I need a story that is bigger than the story of me. I need a reality bigger than the one I can understand. I need some transfiguration in my life. And I think that is true for us, especially now, that we need some transfiguration in our lives. But the reality is that we don't have to be up on a mountaintop to experience these thin spaces. True, maybe Jesus knows that that is where his disciples will pay attention best. But the presence of the divine can be made known just as much in the valleys as it was on the mountaintop that day. We just need to have eyes to see it. I've talked often about my friend Brenda who died of pancreatic cancer last year. And the truth is, I think I've talked about her often because when I look back on my friendship with her and with her family and the ways in which they invited us into their journey, it was a transfiguration moment for us. And even in one of the most difficult and heartbreaking seasons of our lives together, Many of those moments were some of the most sacred, thin spaces I have ever encountered. When Brenda was first diagnosed with cancer, she was quickly sent to a larger hospital in Dallas to see if doctors there could do anything at all to remove or treat the tumor in her pancreas. It was this make-or-break-it kind of moment, and it felt like our whole church and city and world was praying together that they would be able to do something to remove it. But unfortunately, the cancer had already spread to other parts of her body, and so Brenda could do chemotherapy to buy her some more time, or they would do everything they could do to keep her comfortable in her final days. Shortly after Brenda's surgery, Randall wrote the following words on their CaringBridge website. He said, there is no doubt that this experience has changed us and is changing us. 
For instance, yesterday I was searching for an email and I found myself looking back at emails that were written before Thursday, April 4th. They were written before we found out the news of Brenda's diagnosis. And I immediately thought to myself, that was before. I'm realizing that our concept of time is now divided into before this news and after this news. Perhaps not unlike how we would treat the time before COVID, as Perry often calls it, the before times and the after times. Well, he and Brenda were sitting on the sofa in the hospital room reflecting on some of their before happenings. And Randall said, don't you just wish that we could go back? That we could resume life where we left it 12 days ago, but that we could live from that moment forward with the same awareness of life's value and preciousness that we have now. He writes, we both shed a few tears before I said, so what, what do we do now? And without even hesitating, Brenda replied, We live the life we have left with this new reality of the true gift that life really is. And friends, that is what they did. And that is what we all try to do around them every day for the last months of Brenda's life. So we moved her son's senior recital from the Baylor concert hall to their living room the next week and packed it full of their closest friends and family, and he sang so beautifully. It was this gift of courage and love for his mom who sat on the front row just beaming. Hospitality and cooking were important to Brenda, and so they continued having people over for meals as long as they were able. People wanted to bring them meals, and they said, no, we want you to come over for a meal with us. And I remember there wasn't a dry eye in the room that Thanksgiving that we shared our gratitudes around the kitchen table together, and I savored every bite of her homemade bread. I remember the night they called me and said, we're decorating for Christmas early. We want you to come over. And so we made homemade hot chocolate and listened to Christmas music. And I remember Brenda telling me the stories behind each ornament I pulled out of the box to put on the tree. And it was just like the room was sparkling and glowing with transfiguration that night that had very little to do with the lights on the trees. But my favorite moments were simply sitting around the living room talking, sharing stories, laughter, tears, because those moments were so very real. Nothing was left unsaid. It was as if this experience had shown them a glimpse of transfiguration, and after that, they were never the same. And I hope that I will never be the same, too. As Pastor John Ames says at the end of the novel Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, it seems to me that sometimes the Lord breathes on this poor gray ember of creation and it turns to radiance for a moment or a year or the span of a life. And then it sinks back into itself again. And to look at it, no one would know it had anything to do with fire or with light. 
The thing is, he says, wherever you turn your eyes, the world can shine like transfiguration. You don't have to bring a thing to it except a willingness to see. Only who could have the courage to really see it? I think that's what I've loved most about the blessings that Highland has shared with one another this past month. Each one has given us the courage to see something that we haven't been able to see before. To look for blessing in unexpected places. And to see thin spaces in our lives that we haven't always seen before. So I wonder, where have you found thin space lately? Even in the midst of this difficult year. If you have a response... Maybe you have a photo or a link that you want to share from your thin space. I want to invite you to post that in the comments today. Anytime throughout worship or even on social media later after the service is over. Give us a glimpse into the spaces that you are finding holy and sacred. To close, I would like to read a blessing for you. It's a poem, actually, that was written by Brenda. She had written poetry for years and was able to publish some of her favorites into a book that was released just weeks before she passed away. This one is about one of Brenda's thin spaces, a lane she loved to walk down in her family's farm in Alabama. She writes, For years I've run down Blueberry Lane, Avoiding rocks and mud, horse flies, gnats, and wandering hunting dogs. I've watched butterflies and deer and listened to crows and morning doves and wild turkeys. I've stopped by Beaver Dam and listened to water rush over the twigs and branches. I've listened to thunder clouds rolling in on a summer storm. I've picked blueberries, honeysuckle, and pine cones. I've wiped away sweat from August suns and Alabama humidity. But most of all, I have breathed deeply of time and hope and peace. For this moment, I have silenced all sounds but nature. I've ignored all the obstacles but those beneath my feet. I've fixed my eyes on that which brings me joy. And I've dreamed dreams that will carry me far beyond this red clay earth. Friends, may we remember that wherever we fix our eyes can shine like transfiguration. May we live each day paying attention to this fragile and yet beautiful gift that life truly is. And may we too have the courage to live fully within the thin spaces of our lives that will carry us far beyond this brown and dusty earth. Amen.